Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello. And uh, today's topic is um, rewards, but rewards. but it's it's so much more than rewards. Uh, I want to yes. talk about anti-rewards as well. Anti-rewards, okay. Anti-rewards, yep. All right. Yep, yep, yep. Um, people like rewards a lot. And uh, the intersection of this and technology is that a lot of times when people are building software apps or whatever, they think and they want to build in rewards for people in the hopes that that will make people use the app more or want to buy it or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So where do you want to start? Rewards is a big topic. It's one that of my favorite topics. You know that, right? Um, it, it, yes, I, I do. And I, I think I like talking about it so much because I think some of the research on rewards is perhaps, um, what's the, what's the phrase for when, when something is not what you expect? There's a phrase. I can't uh, remember it. Unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. But yeah, yeah, some of the research on rewards, it's, you know, we have this, we've all been getting rewards. People have been giving us rewards for our whole life Yeah. often. And so we think we know how rewards work, but yeah. the research tells a different story, mm. which is why sometimes when you are trying to use rewards, they don't seem to work the way you thought they were. Right. They would work. And that's because... The research is actually a little tricky. The, mm. the, to use rewards effectively is actually doesn't follow common sense. Right, 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 right. So, do you, where do you want to start? I know. I'll give you questions to answer. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say you could start. You could start with a quiz. A quiz. All a right. Go. Guthrie. Yes. Um, and you probably know the answers because. We, we talk about this in our behavioral design workshop, and you're there. Unless maybe while I'm talking about this, you're like zoning Oh, out. I'm, yeah, I'm not paying any attention, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, here, we'll see how much you might have absorbed unconsciously. <laughs> um, so uh, if, you are, if, if someone is learning a new behavior, something they haven't done before, mm-hmm. and you want them to you know, pick up on this behavior and do it and learn it, um, what is the best way to use rewards? Like how often should you give a reward and all of that? What I usually call the schedules of reward. Right. So it is best yeah. if you're going to use a reward to use yeah. variable rewards. Okay. That's the wrong answer. Oh. Because I said if someone was learning a new behavior. Oh. So, oh. Okay. So let's talk about schedules. I just wasn't of, paying attention. Attention. Attention, yeah, because I hadn't enough. rewarded you, I guess. Yes. Um, so let's talk about my one of my favorite topics, schedules of rewards. You know, I think I should go back. Mm-hmm. I think we should pause a minute and talk about the fact that the whole idea of using rewards is all part of what in the field of psychology has been called behaviorism. Yeah. And um, behaviorism was developed in the... I mean, it, it started, Skinner started studying it probably in the 1940s, but it didn't become popular to the 50s and the 60s and then stayed popular through, 
the 70s, maybe. It was starting now, it was starting to fall out of popularity in the 70s. And then uh, really fell out of, uh, really was not very popular in the field of psychology and academic circles for decades. And now, in the last maybe, what, 10 years or so, mm-hmm. has come back as having a resurgence. So um, it started in reaction against uh, the whole, you know, when psychology, you know, this, I guess this is a history of psychology, but when psychology first became a science, which was maybe in the, uh, or maybe around in the 1920s or 30s, something like that, um, well, actually, it wasn't a science. It was more like st- studying stream of consciousness and Carl Jung and archetypes and you know all Freud and all all other kinds of things that were not actually considered very scientific by scientific type of people. And so, in the nineteen forties and fifties, when behaviorism came along, it was viewed as a way to be scientific. It was seen as a way that psychology could become instead of this, you know. Uh, Freudian lie on the couch and we'll talk about things, but it could actually become a science that people could study. And in order to do that, if you're going sci- to study psychology scientifically, the thought back then was that to do that, you had to stop talking about what people were thinking or feeling because you can't really measure that, and you have to just look at their behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's where behaviorism came out of. And uh, and so then it became, all you did was look at what did someone do or not do and how many times did they do it. And that was, that was behaviorism. And so it became really popular because it was deemed to be scientific. But then it became very <laughs> unpopular because it really said it didn't matter, you know, what someone thought, it didn't matter their frame of reference, and so on. So there was a whole backlash against behaviorism with cognitive psychology and then onwards of other kinds of psychology. So that's why behaviorism became kind of not popular because people were tired of just looking and measuring behavior. But rewards is all part of that because Skinner, B.F. Skinner, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, um, really studied uh, how rewards, which he called reinforcements, uh, really affects how people behave. And he did this work called schedules of reinforcement. So he would vary how often he gave rewards to uh, rats, pigeons, people, whatever he was working with and how that changed your behavior. And actually, there's a real pattern. So how you give a reward, you can, you can actually look at a little chart, and it'll show you, you know, the typical behavior pattern when you're giving a particular kind of reward. So if you want someone to learn something new that they've never done before, you need to reward them every time they do it so that they kind of get it. And the easiest way to think about this is to think about if you have a dog. So um, rewards work really well with dogs. And anybody who's tried to train a dog uh, has probably, you know, seen this. So you want to train the dog to, you know, it's a puppy and it doesn't know how to 
sit or it doesn't know how to stay or it doesn't know how to lie down or whatever it is you're trying to teach it. And so you give the hand signal and you give the verbal command and you kind of make, like you grab their front legs and make them, you know, gently, not hard, but you make them go down into a lie down position. And as soon as they're in the lie down position, which you put them in, you give them a reward. And if you do that a couple of times, they'll kind of get it. And then they'll go, okay, if I, uh, you know, squish my body against the floor and put my paws out straight, I'm going to get this tasty food. And so you do, you give, you reward them every time they do it until they get it. Uh, and then you have to stop rewarding them every time and say, so here is quiz question number two, Mr. Guthrie Weinshank. Mm. Why? Once they get it, once they understand what the behavior is that you're rewarding, why do you have to stop rewarding every time? Why not just keep rewarding them every time? Because uh, eventually it loses its effectiveness, does it not? Yeah, but why? Oh, but why does it lose its effectiveness? Yeah. Oh. Um, do you have any idea? Silence. Mm. He's thinking. You want a hint? <sighs> Exhaling loudly. You want me um, to just tell you? Does it have to do with dopamine spikes? No. Well, it might, but no. Nope. All right. Well, why don't you tell me? Well, it's just kind of logically simple. So if you're the dog and you know that every time you lie down, you're going to get a tasty treat, why do it every time? Every time you do it, you're going to get some food. So. Whoa, that, but that's not a, that's a, that's a rationalization. That's not a brain science reason. Correct. Correct. So maybe, maybe that's not it at all. But that's what, I mean, that's, in my experience, that's what it is when people or dogs or whatever know that every time they do the behavior they're going to get a reward then they just say well i'll just do it when i feel like i need a little snack or whatever the reward is so the idea is that you should not reward someone every time they do something once that behavior has been established and so that brings us to what you mentioned about very variable rewards so uh if you sometimes give people a reward and sometimes don't give them a reward, that's when you get the most of that behavior. Mm -hmm. Because they actually can't predict. And this has to do with the dopamine, right? Mm. You're talking about Sapolsky's work. Right. Yeah. So um, do you want to describe Sapolsky's work or do you want me to describe it? There were these rats, see? <laughs> and the, the rats uh, the, there was a light and a bar <laughs> and when the light goes on they run over they press the bar that's right and then they took their blood and right. they measured the dopamine levels in the blood right and what did they find they found well what did what did people think they would find let's do that first they expected yeah. that when the rats get the food pellet, yep. they get the dopamine. 
Right. So they they expected that when the light would come on, and the rat had been taught that when the light comes on, if if he or she runs over and presses a bar, they'll get a food pellet. So um, the scientists thought that if that if they measured the dopamine, the dopamine would be highest right after they get the reward, because people often think that dopamine, and we've talked about dopamine before, I think, on our podcast, but people think that dopamine uh, is is released because you get a reward. But indeed, what they found was, what, Guthrie? That it was released when the when the light turned on. Right, when the signal came and the light turned on. I'm so good. You I remember, remember all these things. You remember these things. That, that the dopamine would spike... Um, at the signal at the light and then it would and then it would go down so that by the time they pressed the reward there you know dopamine wasn't being released so and that's um robert sapolsky uh, s-a-p-o-l-s-k-i and there's this uh video where he kind of talks through that um and maybe we can put that video link in in our summary at at our blog post when we talk about this but um so that was uh, that that was that's an interesting thing about dopamine. Then that was when we realized that dopamine is released in anticipation of reward, not for the reward itself, and how important anticipation is. So um, you know, rewards, and there's all other kinds of stuff about rewards that we could talk about. But you know, that's up to you as to how much you want to go go into it. Well, one um, thing I definitely want to talk about is I want to talk about negative rewards. Well, all right. So you want so actually, um, Skinner when he did his work, he didn't. He never used the term rewards. Hmm. Uh, That's he, interesting. Yeah, he did. He that and, and there's a reason he used the term reinforcement. So he would talk about positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. So that's why he didn't want to use the word reward. Because he was talking about reinforcing behavior. And you sometimes reinforce a behavior by giving a reward. But a reward is not the same thing as reinforcement. So here's, here's what he was talking about. Most of the time when we think about reward, we think about what Skinner termed positive reinforcement. The idea is if someone does a behavior and then we give them something they want and like, it will increase their behavior. And that's what we call a reward, and that's what he called positive reinforcement. Right. But negative reinforcement is different. So in negative reinforcement, you take away something someone doesn't want in order to increase behavior. Right. Positive reinforcement, you give them something they want to increase behavior. Negative reinforcement, you take away something they don't want to increase behavior. So, so let's, you, so we gotta, we're gonna have to like chart this, right? So, I, so yeah. we gotta start with a regular reward, which is positive I want to increase behavior. Yes. So, I, I give you something, give you, you something want. you want. All right. Yeah. Now, so, there's also, so that is yeah. a reward, but That's there's a, also a reward. Yeah. Which is it's the and that's why you shouldn't call it a reward, right? Uh, but you can also have a reward if you get rid of something I dislike, 
again to increase to behavior. increase behavior. Yeah, we got to give an example of that. Well, no, this example is very simple. What? Um, you know, uh, if you if you tell if you if you tell me where the safe is hidden, I will stop hitting you. It's <laughs> well, the old the old the old movie trope, right? Yes, yes. Or if you uh, take out the garbage, I'll stop nagging you. Right? Mm. Because you don't like oh, nagging. Oh, sure. So sure, I'm taking okay. away the nagging. And by taking away the nagging, now you're going to take out the garbage. And you'll just start taking it out on your own. Because if you don't, you know I'm going to nag you. Now, how is that not punishment? Okay. Punishment. So we just said, right, that in both positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement, the result is an increase in the behavior, and that's what we want. Is that correct? Uh, yes. We well, yeah. We want to. Yes, I guess we want to increase, want to increase the, the behavior, target behavior. Yes. Mm-hmm. Punishment is when you give someone something they do not want. And your goal is not to increase behavior, it's to decrease behavior. I see. And I it's see. very so, different. So so it's it's so if we're if we're plotting, we got four little boxes, and this is the inverse of the top box. Which is we're not we're mm-hmm. not trying to increase behavior, we're actually trying to, trying to decrease, decrease behavior. behavior. Right. And we do that by giving you something you don't want, not giving you something you do want. And and that's why in in the research studies that Skinner did and that that I've I've actually done because um, when I uh, went to well I'll tell that story in a minute anyway in the research studies on punishment the behaviors you get are really really different and so what happens with punishment is that indeed the behavior does go down the one you're trying to decrease but. Uh, only briefly, and only as long as the 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 punishment, the bad, the icky thing that people don't want, is being applied. As soon as you stop applying it, uh, or don't pay attention, the behavior goes back to what it was before. So, in a lot of ways, it's even worse. Because oh, it's definitely worse. Yeah, because with positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, you know, once a person is trained and used to doing it, you don't have to do it all the time and they'll still do the same behavior so punishment only works if you if you have like a police state where you can ensure that that they yeah, are someone has to be watching all watching the time and someone has to give the punishment all the time and if you're not there and you miss one they're gonna you know go back to to doing what they were doing before so punishment is actually not very effective in stopping behavior that's what it's good in stopping behavior if the right people like it's good in stopping behavior if in the right circumstances right right but in general it's really hard to do because someone has to always be there always giving the thing the person doesn't want right right now there's another way to decrease behavior because remember punishment was Positive and negative reinforcement were all about increasing a behavior. Punishment was about decreasing a behavior. There's another way to decrease behavior that's more effective than punishment. 
Mm, yes. And this this we're is that get anti to. one you were talking about. Yes. And do you know what that is? I'm assuming that's extinction. That's right. And do you, do you can you describe what extinction is? So it inst. <laughs> I just I just said instinction. No, not no, not not e instinct. No, extinction. Extinction. E -X, yeah. Um so what extinction is is what I want a behavior to go away. Yeah. Yeah. How do you I want say the behavior this? To go away. How do I say this? So you want to decrease the behavior. I want to decrease the behavior. Um but I'm not going to punish it. See, and this is and this is where I get confused because, I like I, I know I know what the answer is, but I don't know. <laughs> it feels different somehow, right? Well, what's what's the answer? So the answer, <clears throat> sorry. The answer is that you, uh, like ignore the behavior. Yeah, that's right. But so they, that 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 seems to be different than the other situations because I'm not rewarding or getting rid of a bad thing. Correct, correct. So extinction or really, punishment, increasing a bad thing. Right. So extinction is you know <coughs> its own thing, totally. Um, so you're not giving a reward. Uh, you're just ignoring the behavior, and by ignoring it, you're not rewarding it. Mm. And because you're not oh, rewarding okay. so, it, so but but so so the jump that has to be made then, yeah, is that people do behaviors because attention is a reward. That's right. That's that's like the missing key, right? So so it is so extinction is the same thing as um uh. This is interesting. I'm not sure where you're going with this. <laughs> no, it's the same as yeah. Uh, what's what's the one where you take a where you your uh, negative reinforcement? Negative reinforcement. Okay, so it's the same as negative. No. Well, hold hold on. Right. So like, every time I get attention, that's my reward, and so by taking away. The attention I'm taking the reward away. Yeah, but to see, remember negative reinforcement. Negative. Let's let's go back. Negative reinforcement is I give you something you don't want in order to. I'm sorry. I take away something you don't want in order to increase behavior. And extinction mm -hmm. is not that because with extinction, <clears throat> I'm trying to decrease behavior. I'm not trying to increase behavior. Right. So it, so it is its own little special. It's its own little thing. So if you ignore what someone's doing, now that does assume, you know, all of these things assume, there's a really important key to all of this, which is you have to be sure the thing you think people, you know, they want this, they don't want this, right? It, it's got, it's got to be true. So if you're giving people something you think is something they want and they really could care less, about this thing you're giving them, then it's not gonna work, you know? Or if you're taking away something that you think they don't want, but actually it doesn't, you know, they don't care that you take it away, then that's not gonna work. And s similarly, if attention is not acting as a reward, then, you know, withholding your attention 
isn't going to decrease the behavior. But, but attention ve- usually is, right? Very often is. Very often is. A lot of times when people are ta- doing something, they're acting in a certain way. Um, one reason they're acting that way is to get a reaction from you. Yes, that's a, and, I was that's just how I was going to phrase it too. It's not and, it's not even it's not about getting attention. It's about getting a reaction. Right. And so if you don't react or you don't react in the way they expect or want or are used to. It's not fun. Yeah, then they'll just stop doing it. So, uh, you know, and any teacher in any classroom has uh, hopefully tried this out. I think it's really hard. It's really hard because some someone's, you know, being disruptive and I- interrupting or acting out. It's often very hard to ignore them, and and yet that's exactly what you need to do if you want them to stop doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's extinction. So this stuff is, you know, it it works really, really well with animals. Yeah. It works really, really well with young children. Mm-hmm. It works somewhat with older children and somewhat with adults, but it isn't always as great with adults and young children, I mean, and older children. And that's because, well, it's for a couple of reasons. Um, You know, one is that uh, there are other ways to get people to do stuff um, that work better than rewards. And actually some of those things uh, rewards interferes with. So we've talked about this before. I think we talked about this on the episode we did on gamification that, you know, for instance, the desire for mastery, the desire people have to learn and grow is a really powerful motivator. And we know when you give rewards to people, it kind of kills their desire for mastery. So you're now using rewards, which is like, Eh, not that great a motivator, and you just <laughs> killed the ability to use desire for mastery, which is a great motivator. Right. And so, you know, as people get older, um, some of the other motivators like self stories and the need to belong, you know, the social uh, uh, aspect of life, um, uh, becoming part of a tribe and peer group and uh, desire for mastery, all those become really, really powerful. And rewards are much less powerful. And so it, you know, that's why I say, you know, and you know this, we've done consulting work together where, you know, we'll go in and the client will say, okay, we're trying to get people to do this. Uh, we're trying to get people to use the software more. And um, so what we do is we reward them for, you know, how many times they've logged in or, you know, and so on. And and you and I are sitting there kind of exchanging glances uh-huh. and going, uh, eh, you might want to think of another way to do this. Um, so people are used to using rewards. And it's on the surface, it's really simple. It seem, it's actually not simple, as we just talked about for, you know, about rewards. But it seems simple. Oh, we'll just give them uh, a, a commission. We'll give them more money. We'll have incentives. We'll give them... You know, if the team reaches this level, we'll have a pizza party. You know, I mean, it's just like, it seems like it's simple. It seems like it would work. And so that's why people, you know, it's the go-to, I think, for a lot of a lot of people, a lot of managers, a lot of um, uh, planning. 
But it's actually not that simple. You know, and I think a lot of people that have tried using rewards in these ways can tell you, well, sometimes it worked kind of, or it worked at first, but then it didn't work, or it didn't work as well as we thought, right? That's because it's complicated. And therefore, you might be better off using something else. But, um, you know, I think especially these days as um, we talk about, you know, all these, uh, all this, all these software apps and mobile applications and you know there's you want people to use your app right Mm -hmm. you want them to buy it and then you want them to use it and the more they use it you know the more money you make perhaps because you're getting ad revenue or whatever it is right so you really want them to use it and you're trying to figure out how can we get them to use the app more um and i would say uh I would probably say, don't use rewards. I'd say, use something else. Use habits. Use self-story. Use feedback. Use the desire for mastery. Um, and and probably, you know, not use rewards. That's, you know, as much as I know about it, I tend to tell people not to use it. I just, I mean, you can use it, and it, and it might work, and it might work really well, especially in establishing a new behavior. But uh, just got to watch out and not use it exclusively or not use it incorrectly, uh, or you may not get what the response you desire. You know, I was going to mention before, and so I'll go into it now um, a little bit about um, what happened when I went to, when I was looking for graduate schools and when I went to, to do my undergraduate. So uh, I started college at Virginia Tech, which I think you know, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I did not start off as a psychology major, but ended up um, taking some psychology courses. And I kind of was interested in that. And then I left Virginia Tech and I moved to Boston and I went back to school at night at Northeastern University for my undergraduate. And Uh, decided to study psychology while there. Now, what I didn't realize at the time was that Northeastern University at that time was one of the few schools in the country that was really into behaviorism and, you know, this whole Skinnerian thing. And that at many other colleges who were teaching psychology, it had fallen out of favor. And I didn't know that. And so Mm. I just... You know, I went to get my undergraduate degree in psychology and just took whatever courses they they said I should take, right? Yeah. And most of those courses had to do with behaviorism. And, like, I didn't – initially, I didn't learn anything about cognitive psychology. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that I was missing stuff because, you know, you're an undergraduate. You take uh, what yeah. they tell you to take. This is the field of psychology. Um. I think maybe I had like one course on what was called, you know, it's called abnormal psychology, you know, which is like <laughs> mental illness and stuff. Yeah. And and basically, otherwise, everything was about, you know, Skinner and rewards, uh, experiments with rats, uh, mazes, you know, the whole thing. And so I thought, yeah, see, I learned everything there is to know about. <laughs> psychology. So then I decided I wanted to go to graduate school in psychology, and I started checking out graduate programs. And 
Also, I think what happened was I, they had these tests, these college-level examination prep or something. You could take these tests, and if you, had, if you could pass the test, it, you could get credits um, without taking courses. It's a way to speed things up. So I took one and uh, on, I don't know, psychology or something. And in order to prepare for it, because this was not a test, this is a standardized test, it's not from that university. In order to prepare for it, I, I went and got a, a book on, essentially a book on cognitive psychology, which of course I had never heard of. And I so loved that course, that book. I mean, I just, it was like this mind-blowing experience to find out there was a whole different way to look at psychology that that was when I decided that's what I wanted to study in graduate school. So then when I started looking at graduate schools, I uh, found found many graduate schools that had you know, specializations in cognitive psychology because that was very popular back when I was going to graduate school. And that right. was when I realized that I had gotten this deep education in behaviorism and the rest of the world <laughs> didn't like behaviorism. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. And so then I followed, you know, the crowd and stopped studying behaviorism and went and got really into the whole cognitive psychology thing, which right. is how I ended up in, in usability and user experience. But interestingly enough, the whole um, rewards thing and behaviorism came back into vogue and I got to use all that wonderful education that I'd had as an undergraduate. Well, look at that. Yeah. See? So it was good that I got that. I, it really was, actually, because it meant I got, I got really deep into the whole behaviorism thing, but then I got really deep into the whole cognitive psychology thing and uh, you know, could do both of those. And then, as you know, uh, in, after graduate school and all that, I got really deep into the, all the new research on... You know, well, brain science and neuroscience and the unconscious, which actually I did get some of in graduate school too. So, I was doing, I was doing uh, EEG work back, back before. You know, it, I was doing neuroscience, brain science, EEG, right and left half of the brain. When it was not particularly popular, I tend to do that. I tend to study things either before they become popular or after they're popular. <laughs> I am never in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Although maybe I am now. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, rewards. Very interesting. So have you ever tried any of this stuff with people? Have you ever, like, played little experimental things with people you know? Um... Honestly, probably. Do do I do I like remember? Do you remember specific now? Um, I do. I do. I don't I know. I think part of the problem is is that there's, <laughs> for being honest, there just aren't that many people that I interact with on a daily basis whose behavior I need to change. Like, well, well, that's good. Yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah, I guess that's good. I guess uh, I guess I'm interacting with a different set of people than you are, or else I'm just I'm just more manipulative in my. Th I know. <laughs> the way I think. 
Um, I mean, I guess it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think I probably do some stuff unconsciously. Yeah. Where when someone does something I don't like, I try to, I, 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 I don't think I, I try to not give it any attention. Yeah. Um, so. All right. So now I have a really tough question for so you. So that's, that's extinction. Can I ask you a, uh, I have a really tough question for you. Mm-hmm. You ready? Mm-hmm. So let's say that you were, you had created this great new app, which I'm always trying to get you to do and you never want to do. We can't make an app. <sighs> we don't have any developers. But we can get developers. <clears throat> we don't have that kind of money. <laughs> uh, I just think we should think up some great app. But anyway, okay. So let's say, though, let's say, Guthrie, that you got, um, you got funding mm-hmm. and you have money to go hire some developers, all right? Yeah. And so you're going to create a, an app to do something, some wonderful app that you're really excited about. And you want people to use it. Would you use rewards, and how would you how would you use them, or what would you use instead of rewards? Well, this is you know okay. You 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 say this all the time, right? So, um, I do. Well, I wouldn't. You know, you try to avoid using rewards unless you really run out of options. So you wouldn't use a reward of any kind. Uh, I try. I try not to. Okay. I try not to. Uh, the, I the, the thing generally, generally, what you want to try to do is avoid using easy rewards, that are like just just the the traditional like I'm giving you something for doing an action. Right. Um, unless it's with dogs or small children. I think sometimes people um, also confuse um, rewards with habits. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, so in terms of like, okay, I want people to use this app. I want using this app to become a habit. Yeah. I want people to wake up in the morning and check whatever this app is, you know. Uh, so I want, I want it to become habitual. And um, that's a different thing. It's slightly related, but it's a different thing than, than using rewards. So I guess that's the other thing I would say is that you know, if you think you need to give a reward in order for people to use your product, maybe what you're really trying to do is establish your product as a habit. And and that's different. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. And I mean, I think I think extinction actually works really well. In, in can you give an example of what you're thinking of? In a particular context, or yeah, why do you say that it, you think extinction works pr- really well? Um. So, I you know, I think uh, especially in today's attention-driven economy, there's a lot of stuff that just really, really needs a reaction, and I think a lot of people are getting very used to getting a reaction. Um, what do you, would can you give me an example? I'm not sure what you're talking about. Uh, the person at work who 
is really stressed and high strung all the time. Okay. And like, I'm sure it's unconscious, but they're feeling stressed. I think what's what what probably happens is they feel stressed and overwhelmed. Yeah. And so they, so if they can get other people to be stressed and overwhelmed with them. With them, that makes them feel like it's not like it makes them feel better because it's like kind oh, we're va- all, it validates validates their feelings. Yeah, and so they get super stressed, they get super overwhelmed, and then they get frantic and they try and spread that to other people. Yeah, and I I think most people are very s- successful at doing so. It's pretty easy to get uh, other people all, but but if you can but if you can just use extinction, um, I think it's really useful in kind of. St- stopping the spread and settling the other person down that's the other thing i've noticed i think in my like um i mean i guess i guess you know people have said i have like a calming personality but i think all they really mean is that when they're like frantic and (laughs) and trying to like spread like they're you know they're like make other people frantic i just don't like go with them on their journey. Yeah, you don't engage in that way. Yeah, and then they just kind of stop, and then they're like, oh, I feel better. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I think there's a tendency, you know, if you're interacting with someone, whatever, you know, and they're, and they're upset or they're frantic or they're anxious or, you know, whatever, there's a tendency, I think, because of perhaps empathy, right, mm-hmm. to engage with them and, Get them to talk about it, you know, and why are you so upset? Why are you, you know, why are you nervous or why why are you so stressed? And, you know, then they'll just talk more and more and more and more, right, and get more and more and more stressed. Sometimes that's what happens. I mean, sometimes, you know, talking about it might relieve it, but if it's a pattern, it might not. And I think what you're saying is rather than doing that, which is really just feeding it, right, mm-hmm. you can not feed it. I mean, I you know, in in really uh, in really kind of mundane ways, um, you know, I've used it. For instance, uh, I haven't had to do this recently, but you know, I sometimes I in the past I've taught workshops, and you know, especially I think this happens when you're teaching a multi-day on-site workshop. Um, so it's everyone's from, you know, the same company. And there's these patterns of behavior that they have, right, that they're accustomed to right. uh, that are new to me because I've just come in from the outside. And so you'll have somebody in the class who keeps asking a lot of questions that are kind of off topic. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, I love getting questions from people when we're teaching a workshop. But if, you, if you're doing a three-day workshop and you got one person who keeps wanting to talk about, you know, what happened with that when they tried to do that, right? And it goes on and on, and you can tell the rest of the class is like, oh, my God, there he goes again, and this is, you know, and he's going to talk for, like, 10 minutes, and it's going to take us off topic, and, um, you know, he keeps raising his hand. Um, I mean, there have been times when uh, (laughs) I shouldn't admit this on our episodes, right? Because then people are going to know what I'm doing if they bring us in for a no, workshop. No one realizes. But um, I, I, I will actually orient myself, like turn my body and my gaze in a direction where 
I can't see his hand being raised. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or at least I can pretend I can't see his hand being raised and yeah. just, just ignore the hand raising. Right. And after a while, you know, he or she will, will kind of stop. More, more than likely what I'll do before it gets that desperate is I'll just say things like, oh, uh, that's a great question, but let's talk about it during break because it's not exactly what we're doing right now. Um, so sometimes I'll do that. But, yeah, I've used it that way. Uh, yeah, it, extinction is uh, – I definitely use it with dogs. <laughs> Yeah. Definitely use it with dogs. It works, it, works, it works pretty well. I guess I've used it with I've used it with uh friends and family. But, you know, I won't I won't admit too much about that cuz they might be listening in. Very cool. So, on another one, we'll have to talk about uh habits then since that might be more Yeah, relevant. I mean habits are yeah, habits are a big a big deal. Yeah. For sure. For sure. All right, Guthrie. Well, um, I know you wanted a lot of attention from doing this this episode, but I'm not going to give you any more attention. I'm oh, I, I guess we're not doing any more episodes. Your behavior. No, 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 no. I <laughs> no, no, that's not true. <laughs> All right, I'll have to reward you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for this, and uh, happy extinct. Found it. Found it useful. Um, it's something to think about. Oh, if people want to know more about behavior, where should they? Well, you know, I, I've got, uh, one of my books, how to get people to do stuff. It's got all this in it. Plus got all a whole lot more. And I think that's go. probably a, a great go. resource for it. I think. All right. Well, and I will talk where, to you how later. can they reach us? Guthrie? Oh, you can email us at info at the team com if anyone wants to. All right. Thanks Guthrie. Thank talk you. Soon. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.